Thanks for listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston, joined as always by my spectacular co-host, Jeff Simmons. Jeff, how's it going? What are you looking at in the news? Obviously, everybody's talking about President Biden testing positive for COVID. And you can hear me now, right? Yep, yep. Sometimes we have these little uh, technical bumps here, but we are doing the best we can. But I'm sorry, Jeff. Let's uh, let's back it up. <laughs> I was saying I was, there was my big wind up. I was like, wow, you know, everyone's talking about President Biden having COVID-19. Yeah, and that was one of the things I've been following. Also, some breaking news earlier today about this case of polio that was identified over in Rockland County. Right. We're dealing with COVID, monkeypox, and now, uh, of course, for anyone who is very concerned about this, a case of polio was identified. Uh, right, which I of think course that is case was... stressful in this environment. It is. It is. Well, I think, and, and from what what little I just read, I just saw a very, uh, very brief uh, uh, breaking news bulletin about it. But from what I understand, the person had traveled out of the U.S. and was not vaccinated uh, against polio. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. I mean, it's what's interesting is the anyone who's been vaccinated against polio are very low risk. But, you know, those who've had all three shots are close to 100 percent protection. I'm reading some of this from The Times, but that's just been mm-hmm. a concern. And Celeste, I, you know, I know there's so much news that's going on tonight, I believe is the tonight's the last uh, January 6th hearing. Yeah, this this is obviously something people have been watching. Certainly a lot of revelations there. And uh, just I I sort of can't believe that I can and cannot believe that we are at this moment in, in our history, Jeff. Yeah, it's been incredible. A lot going on. And what I was just trying to say when uh, I kind of clicked back out and came back in uh, to the show, sorry about my tech issues there, was uh, this heat wave that we are in the middle of. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, if many of our listeners live in in Queens, but the storm that we encountered this afternoon was rather fierce for a, a period there. So I was wondering if I was even going to have any power for a while. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, you know, actually, uh, Jeff, you know, another thing that that we are talking about here, you know, I was thinking about all the news that's going on today. And, uh, you know, one of the things I've been looking at just to keep myself cheerful and upbeat, I've been looking at this story about a new survey that said, speaking of the January 6th hearings, one in five people would condone political violence in some way, including about one in 10 who said it might be okay if the violence returned Donald Trump to office. There are a lot of caveats in that survey, but I think it could be telling us something really important about how far we have to go to address extremism in this country, especially with another survey. I know uh, the hits keep on coming, showing serious erosion in Americans' faith in the electoral process, Jeff. Yeah, it's just been unbelievable. And of course, the big news for a number of New Yorkers, including us, because it directly uh, relates to today's program, is the change up in the Democratic primary in the new 10th congressional district. It includes parts of Manhattan, Brooklyn. That primary, and we, Celeste and I have been talking about this, is August 23rd, by the way. That is coming up soon. It's only a few weeks from now. But the field just got a little bit smaller this week with the departure of former Mayor Bill de Blasio, who announced that he was dropping out of this race. He was uh, behind in the polls. Just a few days ago, he announced not only would he be leaving the congressional primary field, but also he would be leaving electoral politics entirely. Despite the fact that he's out of the race, Mayor de Blasio kept his promise to appear with us today here on Driving Forces, and he's going to be joining us momentarily. Absolutely. So before we speak to the former mayor, super quick reminder, as always, we are listener supported non-corporate radio, and we can only have these important conversations with your help. Please go to WBAI.org today to donate to free speech radio. That's WBAI.org. Remember, your contribution to WBAI is tax deductible. Do something good for free speech, for the community, and for your tax bill. Give to WBAI today, and thanks. And without any further ado, we are going to go right to our first guest, who really needs no introduction at all. Uh, That is Mayor Bill de Blasio, former mayor, now Bill de Blasio. Many of us have known him for many years. I think I first interviewed him around 2006. uh, But as you know, he served on the city council representing Brooklyn from 2002 to 2009, then as public advocate from 2009 to 2013, and then as two-term mayor of the city. Uh, Also considered running for governor, actually did run 
run for president. He's somebody who has been in public life for a very, very long time. Lots of people have lots of opinions about him and wondering about what's next for him. Hopefully we are about to find out right now with that. Mayor Bill de Blasio, welcome to WBAI. It's a pleasure to be here. You said I didn't need any introduction. Then you gave me an introduction. <laughs> I know. I know. I'll, I'll have to. Uh, I'll, I'll have to think back on that and uh, and uh, correct my behavior. But how how are you? How are you uh, having made this very big two kind of very very big decisions this week? Well, you know, look, it's obviously very personal. Um, it uh, feels like the end of something that I really cherished, and you know, feel. Despite my obvious missteps along the way, I still feel very good about, you know, having, you know, been in public service a long time in this city and tried to change some things. And I'm proud of the things we did change. But I also recognize, you know, there was areas I could have done better. And I also have a sense that sometimes you, you know, outstay your welcome and it's time to move on. And uh, that's that's okay. So it's a mix of feelings right now. But, you know, just appreciating the good in many ways and appreciating, I got to tell you, even the last two months, just really wonderful people I met out in the streets of Brooklyn, Manhattan and, and people who joined together and helped me. And um, so I really feel some real deep gratitude for that. So we're we're going to talk a little bit more about your, your political trajectory and your plans, sort of the course of this race. But I did want to ask you about uh, how you came to this decision. I know that you said that, you know, you spoke to people, you looked at the numbers, there was some hesitancy there, there was some concern about about the, the public polling information. I'm curious to know, uh, I know that you're somebody who talks a lot about and with their family. What was this like uh, making this decision to not only get out of this race, but as you have said, to leave electoral politics? You know, I think from a family perspective, and I really say this with some um, concern, that families are sort of put through more now than probably in some ways ever before in our political history. Um, there's, you know, everything from the fear of something that might happen because we're in a, a time where there's such division uh, and such anger uh, to, you know, the just the, the invasion of privacy that happens sort of constantly now in the social media age particularly. And I'm not, you know, trying to say, oh, geez, I wish we were in the good old days because the good old days were never that good. You know, I have no illusions about past came with many problems. But I think in the vein of um, public office, in some ways things have gotten a lot harder and more demanding uh, and, and in some ways more negative. So from a family perspective, uh, I don't think anyone in my family is like, hey, you know, this is great. Let's just keep doing this. You know, I think there's a, certainly a comfort with leaving the stage, um, you know, from a from a perspective of service uh there's nothing i i I wouldn't trade in anything in terms of eight years in city hall because we were able to do amazing things but you know i also am mature enough to know you can serve in a lot of other ways you know and and that's okay find find another way to do some good you know so mr mayor it's great to have you on the show and you said in your announcement video that new yorkers expressed that they want to go in a different direction they wanted another option what do you think New Yorkers end, ended up wanting in this race? Something new. I mean, I think that's the simple uh, summation. Um, you know, obviously, most of the other candidates are not as well known. I mean, all of the other candidates are not as well known. I was by far the most uh, known uh, candidate. I had represented the entire district for 12 years as mayor and advocate. And in Brooklyn, more like 20 years as a city council and, and school board. So they knew me 100%. Uh, the other candidates, they knew, you know, some places people knew their local representative, other places they didn't. Some names were brand new. But they were obviously saying we'd rather have one of the people we don't know as well. Uh, and that's, you know, you, you kind of can't miss that. It's, uh, it's not fun to see it. Because uh, I really feel like I gave my all, especially during the COVID years. But it, it's, you know, we're adults. You can, you know, we you know, basic math skills. It's pretty clear to see when people just aren't into it. You know, 
and that's okay. Again, it, it doesn't feel good, but it's, it's like it's part, of, it's part of life. It happens in personal relationships. It happens in politics. It's part of life. You know, I'm curious, Have since your announcement, have you heard from the other candidates? Have any reached out to you to seek your endorsement? Yes. And, you know, I have not decided uh, what I'm going to do. I mean, I'm obviously just in the last uh, 48 hours or so made this decision, made it public. So, you know, I, I got to think about what makes sense to do? I mean, it's my it's my home. You know, this district includes the place I live in for the last 30 years and love and want to do right by. And if I think involvement in the race would be helpful, you know, I'd be ready to do it. But I got to think whether I think that makes sense, all things considered. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming live via WBAI.org. You're listening to Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. We are speaking to former Mayor Bill de Blasio about his decision to leave not only the Democratic primary for New York's 10th Congressional District, but to leave electoral politics entirely. Mayor, in retrospect, do you feel that you should not have run for Congress, did you have, uh, you know, looking back, do you have any qualms in saying, I finished my uh, career as mayor, I was term limited out, I could have used that opportunity perhaps to move on to something else right away? I, I did explore um, other things to do. And, you know, it's beginning to have some pieces come together. But, you know, I'm a public servant. I mean, I really, I mean, you know, everyone out there listening, whatever your thing is in life. You know, if someone's a writer, if someone's a musician, if someone's an activist, I mean, you sort of, a lot of us have something that's very deep in us and a kind of a, a vocation, not just a career. And this is what I do and believe in. So I was looking at other types of, you know, ways to make a living, but it wasn't as satisfying as the kind of work I've been doing. So suddenly this uh, congressional district, I mean, it literally came out of nowhere. No one predicted it. And there suddenly it was in the middle of May. I don't regret it at all. I had an amazing experience. You know, one of the things you don't get to do when you're mayor, or at least uh, and this is my sort of acknowledgement slash confession. I mean, it is hard when you are mayor to just go out into communities and talk. You know, I did 70 town hall meetings. So it's not like I didn't do those formal gatherings. And they were really intense and they went on for hours. And those were great. And I used to do... Uh, the Brian Lehrer show every week and, you know, important discussions and questions from New Yorkers and all sorts of other, you know, I took something like a hundred questions a week from the news media during the COVID era, but nothing replaces just standing on a street corner and talking to people. And I didn't get to do that. And the last two months I did again, and it was just a revelation. It was wonderful. And so, no, I think the human experience of these last two months, especially combined with coming home literally to my to my house in my neighborhood. It's been very well. It's been gratifying on many levels and moving. And so, no, I don't regret trying. And and it's like everything else in life. You only find out what's possible by trying. And I tried, and I'm like, wow, this is not working. <laughs> so I realized it was time to close it off, and I'm glad I tried. So there, there's been some discussion, and certainly you do have your critics, and we, we can talk about that. I'm sure you're super excited to continue talking about your critics here. But, uh, you know, some people have even been so critical or cynical, whatever you want to call it, as to say that essentially you ran for Congress so you could raise money to pay off some of your other debts, whether those be debts that you accumulated while uh, running briefly for president or perhaps uh, having something to do with legal fees that you amassed during your mayoralty. Uh, dealing with, uh, um, you know, some, some legal issues there. What do you say to people uh, who ask those kinds of questions? What And what will you do with the money that you have raised uh, during this run for Congress? Yeah, I, I just think it's astounding. It's entirely inaccurate. It's astounding. I mean, I'm, I, you know, appreciate a good conspiracy theory as much as the next guy, but that's just plain stupid. It's You do not run for Congress and put yourself out there and take everything that goes with it and do all this work and, you know, also run the risk of it not working. You don't do that just to raise money. I certainly didn't. I did it because I thought I could serve in the Congress and contribute something and go in a different direction in terms of my public service. And so, no, those, those folks, 
they need to get out more often because they're really missing reality. Uh, but you so know. What, what do you what do you foresee doing with any funds that you may have uh, remaining once you pay well, off the, the, first the debts thing, of the campaign? The first thing to do is pay off the obligations from this campaign, and that's going to take a little while to sort out. And then, you know, I'll figure out from there. I don't have uh, an immediate plan. I just made this decision. Um, so over time, but I, I've said many times, I want to say it here, I, I, I have never had a debt I didn't pay. Uh, there are some issues that still have to be adjudicated. There's an appeal process going on on some of this. That's, and I keep reminding people appeals are a part of the democratic process. And I am pursuing appeal on something I think absolutely needs to be heard. But in terms of whatever debts are real and verified, I, I have paid every campaign debt I've had many campaign committees, paid off debts, shut them down. Whenever I've had personal debts, student loans, mortgages, whatever, I've paid them. I will pay everything that I am liable to pay. So, Mr. Mayor, in no way am I comparing myself to you here, but I know what it's like, you know, to have a sudden departure. As you know, we, you know, we've known each other for years. I worked for Bill Thompson and when we ran for mayor and he lost against, you know, Mike Bloomberg, that was crushing for him, crushing for, for me at that time. And, and I knew I was going to be out of government and I thought, what is this next chapter? It was a, t- a real, period for me of self-introspection. What brings me joy? What will bring me joy moving ahead? As you consider this next chapter in your life, what are you going to be looking to? Like, where are the areas that you might look to to say, these are the type of things that bring me the most joy, that this is the area I want to work in? Well, that's a great question, Jeff. And I appreciate, I know, I think you and I can relate because that's a, a very powerful experience you relate. And you, yeah, I remember that election night. There was a period of time when Thompson was ahead in the count, and and everyone had. Our, I had my hopes up. I'm sure you guys did too. And so it's really tough when things don't work out. Um, I think there's a lot of ways to serve. I really do. I didn't start out in electoral politics. It's WBAI, so you will appreciate that. You know, I had a substantial period of time uh, where I was questioning the electoral path entirely. And I come out of the left, and I'm proud to. Uh, I was involved in the pro-Nicaragua movement. And, you know, uh, I therefore I knew all the lessons of Latin America. I knew what happened to Salvador Allende in Chile. And, you know, I questioned for a long time, looking at sort of what was going on in America, whether electoral politics could make a difference. So there was a period, you know, in the... Part of the 80s and 90s where I was like, the last thing I'm going to do is run for office. And I thought it was much more about doing issue work. But, you know, a series of things led me back to the electoral path, and I'm glad I did in the end. But now I want to remember where I came from. I think there's tons of issues. I mean, look at pre-K and 3K. It came close to being part of, you know, American life in Build Back Better. And then, thanks to Joe Manchin, was destroyed. Um that was a watershed moment. We were about to actually do something profound to educate all the children of America. And it slipped through the hands of the Democratic Party, which frustrates me no end. That's one example of an issue I'd love to work on, because I think, I think you know, the, the American people are ready for something like that. Um, I think a lot of the things that we learned in the time, I mean, you name it, Vision Zero or, you know, profoundly changing the approach to mental health. Uh, You know, all the public health things, I mean, what we learned through COVID, what we learned by, we create a guaranteed health care plan. I would love to work on this, too. You know, we created in in New York City a few years ago a guaranteed health care plan, including for undocumented people. And I don't know how it didn't get more attention. I'm kind of, this is one thing I objectively think is screwed up about this city, that something of that magnitude happened and somehow it was not a a major uh, issue. It didn't get attention. But that's the kind of thing we need in America. We need universal health care, and it has to include the undocumented, or it's not mm-hmm. universal. So there's a lot of issues I would love to work on, and I'm going to find my way on you know one or more of those. So I know we're going to wrap in just a few moments, and before Celeste wraps up, I just wanted to just give you my impression. When I, I watched the video several times, and you know, and I'm a sap. Someone, if their voice cracks, I start to you know get to depressed as well. And I watched your video in the very end, I feel like you were holding it together at that last moment, you know, and I'm just wondering, you know, as you wrapped up that video, as you brought, you know, came to, to just 
you know, seek some closure on this. You know, I mean, that had to be a very tough moment for you in, in, in saying all these words very eloquently, too. Well, I thank you. And I, I don't think you're a sap. I think you have empathy and I, I give you credit for it. I think I think. You know, it's it's a. And, you know, it, of course, you always feel it's impossible not to feel some rejection. Uh, you know, I think all of us in our our social lives, our dating lives, our friendships, we've all had those moments where we felt rejected. You know, it's tough when, you know, especially, again, after COVID, I, I thought in my heart, you know, I did a lot of the right things. I thought people felt it and, and saw it. And then it's just, you know, there's really was just very little interest in uh, my services at this moment. And that, that is painful. It's impossible not to feel pain by that. And it's impossible not to feel some pain if you're saying goodbye to something that you, you know, have loved and have felt uh, was meaningful. However, you know, at the same time, there's something natural about it. You know, there really there's kind of a season for everything. And for every one of us that was once uh, an insurgent or once was an underdog and actually got somewhere, you know, we got we to gotta count the blessing because in 2013, I was not supposed to have any chance in hell of becoming mayor. And uh, I count my blessings, I did. So you, you perceived it right, Jeff. You perceived it right. But, um, you know, I can't say I'm totally at peace, but I can say it makes sense to me. And, uh, and I know i got to turn that page. And finally, Mayor de Blasio, and thank you for being generous with your time. Um, you know, your mayoralty, your, your time in elected office, all the elected offices you've held will be remembered for things. Some of the things you mentioned, uh, Vision Zero, Universal Pre-K, a lot of the things that you tried to do or, you know, that are still in the works, but also for things like real ethics questions about your fundraising practices, your administration's efforts to control information about about those issues. So curious to know, how do you think you will be remembered in New York electoral politics? And how do you think that might be different from how you want to be remembered? Well, I, I first of all, I, I never assume, you know, a lot of people came to me in 2021 and they were pitching one idea or another and they'd always try to attract me to the idea by saying, this will be so great for your legacy. And I kind of laughed because I don't really believe any of us has any control over our legacy as a progressive you know, I learned a long time ago, even high school and college, you know, that not only is history written by the winners, but history is written with a profound bias. And I think for all the good progressives listening, you know, we all know how much our own American history has been whitewashed and misrepresented. So I can't have come out of that thought pattern over decades and decades and think, oh, you know, everything's going to go great and it's going to be the truth all the time. But what I can say is I, I want to believe that the, the sort of the bigger, more structural things are really going to be felt more with time. I think, you know, pre-K and 3K actually have more impact over time. Um, the guaranteed health care, it will eventually be understood for what it was, that this is one of the most important efforts to create universal health care anywhere in the country. Uh, the $15 minimum wage, you know, is going to be the kind of thing that will help people for years and years and when I started out, it was considered pretty outlandish, and we helped make it uh, something attainable. So, you know, I think there's a lot of examples like that. And I believe that the good ideas will win the day in many ways. On the other stuff, look, I, I think there are things I could have done better, and there's a hell of a lot of things I could have explained better, and there's times when I should have been more transparent. There's times when I should have been more open or vulnerable rather than sort of closing off. But on the questions of ethics, I guarantee this, that when everything is looked at, when the smoke clears, this is going to be, it's going to be clear that, and I mean this, that, you know, the things I got in trouble for, although never anything that resulted in any uh, negative outcome because there was nothing to penalize, you know, I was trying to elect a Democratic state Senate. 
and, and end 50 years of Republican rule. I was trying to pass pre-K and a tax on the wealthy to fund it. Uh, you know, this is not what I think of when I think of corruption. I, I guarantee when everything is finally seen, you know, the mainstream papers will harumph and say, look at all these issues. But I, I think in the end, what it was really about and what it was meant to achieve will be seen. And um, I made plenty of mistakes, but not not ethical ones. I really feel that in my heart. There was no intention. I never put any money in my pocket. There was nothing unethical. And uh, I think that will be seen in the end. And on that note, Mayor Bill de Blasio, thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz, Marston, and myself here on WBAI's Driving Forces today. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us this week. Thank you both, and continue to help people see all the perspectives, as you do. I appreciate you for it. And Jeff, thank you for many years of friendship. Thank you. If you had just tuned in, you are listening to Driving Forces here on WBAI 99.5 FM New York. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined as always, when I forget to, when I remember to unmute myself, joined by the wonderful Celeste Katz Marston. Uh, <laughs> Who should and, be muted more. <laughs> yeah. But no, we really appreciate the mayor calling in uh, and talking with us today about his decision, about his legacy, because this is what we've been trying to bring to you, our listeners. We have wanted to have on a number of the candidates for Congress in this newly carved out District 10. Um, we've already talked with some of the other candidates on this program, including uh, State Assembly Member Yuli New and also Carlina Rivera. And we're going to have more of these candidates, and not just here, but also on City Watch on Sundays and Max and Murphy, uh, excuse me, on Ben Max's show as well on Wednesdays. He's also made an effort to have on a number of these candidates. Right, Celeste? Absolutely. Just again, before we move on to our next guest, a very quick reminder. One more time, we are right in the middle of a major campaign, the Tower Fund. Please go take a few moments today. Go to WBAI.org and give as generously as you can to the Tower Fund to support this radio station. Please don't forget, we are a 501c3 nonprofit. That means your gift is tax deductible. It costs us $17,000 a month just to keep our signal alive. $17,000 a month. That is the rent on our broadcast tower at Fort Times Square. We don't play commercials here on WBAI like other radio and television stations. We don't take big checks from big corporations. We rely on real New Yorkers like you to protect free speech radio. Please give to the Tower Fund. That's WBAI.org. And as we've been saying here at WBAI, Celeste and I are committed to helping you hear from as many of these candidates as possible. That said, joining us now is Maud Maron. She's been described as a more moderate Democrat running in this district, in Congressional District 10. Just briefly before we bring her on, she has more than 20 years of experience as a public defender. She has been a professor at the Cardozo Law School and director of training at the Legal Aid Society. She's been actively involved in various ways in New York City, in New York City's public school system, where she and her husband have four kids enrolled, including advocating for merit-based admissions and against masking and quarantine mandates related to the pandemic. And she also previously ran for city council last year. Maud Maron, welcome to WBAI's Driving Forces. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. So let us start off by introducing you to our listeners and so they can understand why you're running. This is a very crowded field. Some of the people uh, who are in this race might be better known than you are at this time. Why do you want to be in Congress and share a little more about your career trajectory? Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, it's interesting that um, our former mayor was just on with you guys because what I hear so much when I'm talking to people in in the streets and um you know, in all of our neighborhoods, is the enormous frustration with Bill de Blasio's New York, right? With this idea that our city got worse and not um, with his leadership. And I'm just one of those New Yorkers um, who is frustrated and who feels like um, our it's clean, our schools are not meeting the needs of families on a lot of different levels. Um, and what I see in the field now that now that um, our former mayor has left the race is we have a lot of people left in this field who 
um, were his enablers, the people who in Albany and here in city council enacted the laws and the regulations and the policies that got us here. So when people ask why I'm running, is we need addiction in our I think Bill de Blasio very proudly calls himself a progressive. I used to call myself a progressive, but what it means to be um, progressive right now, I think, has changed in our city. There's a certain level of extremism involved in it. We see it around the crime um, and public safety decisions that are happening. Um, and so I think moderate and common sense Democrat is really my more um, accurate label these days. Maude Marin, thanks so much for joining us here on WBAI. Uh, you know, you said uh, during your campaign that, uh, again, you feel the Democratic Party is really sort of getting away from what actual voters think and what they want here in New York and in the 10th District. Can you be more specific about what you mean by that and how you are different from other primary candidates? Sure. Look, I was in Sunset Park yesterday with a mom that I had met, uh, um, an Ecuadorian woman who... Um, came to this country. She has her, she has a 16 year old, as do I. My son turned 16. My eldest son turned 16 yesterday. Um, and we were comparing notes because we had actually met each other at an open schools rally, right? And she is, um, a Latina immigrant who is, you know, has worked in restaurants and whose children are in public school as my children are, but I live in Soho. I have a different, um, you know, I went to law school. I have a different level of education, different career path. But we really had the same take on um, the frustrations about the safety in the subway, about how hard it was to get our schools reopened and get our kids in school. And I'm just finding that across a lot of different neighborhoods and a lot of different places, the frustrations are the same. Look, don't get me wrong. I understand that there's a certain crowd that that fellow Democrats who are very, very left-leaning and want more and more um, sort of super progressive policies. But what I feel like happens is when you say, well, this hasn't worked, right? Like, take bail reform. I know a lot about the criminal justice system. And as someone who's had um, bail set on them and that kept them in jail and really in ways that I have seen as being very unfair, um, I supported bail reform when it first came, you know, the, the idea of not letting the only deciding factor that kept you in jail is that you're poor. And if you had enough money, you could bail yourself out. There's something inherently unfair about that. But what has happened with bail reform right now in our city is that we see a revolving door of people who are committing real and serious crimes. Um, And the politicians who supported it promised everybody, promised New Yorkers that this would be an equity fix that would be fair and it wouldn't increase crime. Um, But what New Yorkers are seeing with their own eyes is that crime is escalating. And the message that you can commit crimes and you're not even going to spend more than, you know, 13, 14 hours in jail going from arrest to arraignment, that message is out there. And everyday people on the street who take the subways, who send their kids to this, you know, to school on the subways, um, aren't buying the message that... um, you know, that there's no correlation between the changes in in criminal justice laws and the actual rise in crime that they're seeing on the street. So I want to uh, bring up another topic. Recently, you were excluded from a candidate forum because of some of your views. Uh, A number of groups, Lambda Independent Democrats, New Kings Democrats, among others, had had labeled you a bigot, among other things, mm-hmm. because you are concerned you ha- oppose having transgender women compete against biological women in competitive sporting events. Tell us why you feel that way and what frame your opinion on this. Yeah, sure. I'm opposed to men competing against women in women's sports. And I think language is super important around these conversations because I do think that individuals can... Um, identify in any way they want. So if you're a man who wants to live your life as a woman, I think you 100% should be free to do so, and you shouldn't face employment discrimination or housing discrimination. But you impinge on and infringe on other people when you insist that other people have to um, pretend that your wishes are their reality, right? So... When a man like Thomas, who is this uh, swimmer from uh, from Penn, who was very uh, covered by the media, 
when he says I'm a woman and I want to swim on the women's team, he's not a woman. He's a man, and he shouldn't swim on the women's sports team because he takes the place of a woman, and there's an inherent unfairness that, you know, ideologues will deny, but that reality-based people understand. You can agree with me or disagree with me on that point. It's fine. Reasonable people can have different opinions. But my opinion is shared by the vast majority of Americans across both parties and cutting right across racial groups, socioeconomic groups, um, you know, right across the country. So that's my opinion. It is ridiculous and absurd for any forum to ban somebody for their opinion. You can ask me a question about it. I'll give you my honest answer. Or you can choose not to ask me a question about it and ask about any of the many other things that we should be discussing in this congressional district. But silencing, censoring, and banning speech has a chilling effect on our democracy. And I think Americans are tired of that kind of cancel culture. This is WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming via BAI, WBAI.org. You're listening to Driving Forces with Celeste Katz-Marston and Jeff Simmons. Our guest is New York 10 Democratic Congressional Candidate Maude Marin. And Ms. Marin, uh, in your introductory campaign video, you said New York needs to, quote, respect parents' boundaries because parents know what's best for their own kids. Uh, you have four children in the school system. Uh, wanted to know a little bit more about what did you have in mind when you said that is that uh, sort of a general position, or is that specific to what I believe is your opposition to COVID-related masking and quarantining for public school kids? Um, Well, the COVID-related restrictions, which went very, very overboard, is certainly one of those things, but I think it cuts that respect for parents uh, in decision-making in kids' school cuts across a whole lot of things. I am a school choice candidate. I think the fact that so much of our conversation around how to improve New York City schools is often driven by equity conversation about what's good for black and brown students who often have um, the worst academic outcomes in our school. But at the same time, you know, there are tens of thousands of black families on the waiting list to get into charter schools, and those parents' um, desires to have more charter school seats are completely ignored. Um, that's a that's a respecting parents' wishes. If parents say, I don't want to send my kid to this school that is failing to teach kids how to read, I want to send them over here to this school, this charter school that's doing a great job teaching kids how to read, you should respect that choice. If parents say, I don't want to give my kid a vaccine, but I want them to be able to play uh, sports, you should, for the COVID vaccine, right? I'm not opposed to the vaccine schedule for, for well-proven um, vaccines, for polio vaccines, for measles and rubella and, and, and the like. Um, but for COVID vaccine, which is doesn't stop transmission, which has a very limited range of efficacy for young people, and which has some real um, safety signals and concerns that individuals should be able to make their, their own choice on. Um, that's a big problem. But I also think some of the curriculum stuff that I've seen change dramatically. I have a 16-year-old, but I also have a 6-year-old. And all my first three eldest kids went to the elementary school that my youngest child is going to now. The curriculum has changed dramatically, and it's very, very ideologically driven in ways that I don't think serve the broader community. I think people who are... Um, right of center and left of center, people who don't agree on much politically should be able to send their kids to the same public school and know that their kids will be taught to read and taught, um, you know, mathematics well and taught science well and be taught civics well um, and not have so much political ideology that serves one part of the political spectrum, but not the whole range of students and families who are at the school. And Maud Marin, one more question for you. Uh, you know, of course, we try very hard to give everybody uh, in a in a contest uh, the candidates that we can get on the program uh, equal time. However, if you look at some of the public polling, from what we've seen, some of the commission polling, uh, we know the only poll that really matters, of course, is on election day. But uh, in the polling that we have seen uh, commissioned and conducted, you are uh, towards the back of the pack. How do you think you'd be able to turn this around uh, with the primary coming up so swiftly? What will you do to do to uh, to change your position there? Yeah, absolutely. The most important thing is for me to talk to people. And because when people hear what I'm saying, they tend to agree with me. There's lots of people out there that are common sense Democrats, just like me. Um, And I think that's why you see these made up excuses to keep me out of forums. 
Um, you can disagree with me or not about single-sex sports, but keeping me out of forums is to prevent more people from hearing what I have to say and realizing that, oh, yeah, she speaks for me. That makes a lot of sense for me. So I'll keep doing what I'm doing, which is talking to people in the neighborhood. I say yes to anyone who invites me to come and speak, even if it's folks who may not agree with me about everything, um, because I know that the best way to win an election is to make sure that enough people who agree with you know your name, know you're running, um, and in this particular race, know when the election is, which is August 23rd, which is not the time we New Yorkers normally go to the polls, <laughs> but because this New York uh, congressional election this year is at the end of the summer. New Yorkers need to know early voting is between um, the 13th and the 21st, and uh, voting day is on August 23rd. And now our listeners know your name and know you're running, but if they want to learn more about you and your campaign, where should they go? They should go to maudmarin.com. It's my name, it's my website, and there's I'm the only Maud in the race. <laughs> so, Maud Marin, um, I want to thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz-Marston and myself here in WBAI this afternoon. Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. This is Driving Forces on WBAI New York. I am Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. We just had a conversation with Maud Marin, a Democratic primary candidate in New York's 10th district in Manhattan and Brooklyn. If you like what you're hearing on Driving Forces, if you think it's important to have a radio station that takes on big time, Topics and lets you hear from your candidates for office in their own words. Please become a BAI buddy in the name of this program. Super easy. Only takes a minute. Just go to WBAI.org. You can also go to WBAI.org to support the Tower Fund. Your help keeps WBAI, the kind of vibrant community radio New Yorkers have supported for more than 60 years. So coming up, we're going to give you your chance to weigh in. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212 what do you think about our guests today, former Mayor Bill de Blasio and congressional hopeful Maude Marin? Uh, who are you going to vote for in next month's primaries and why? We want to hear from you. Please call in 212-209-2877. In the meantime, you can always go to WBAI.org and give generously to support this station, support the Tower Fund. Give us a call, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. We'll be right back.
Sly and the Family Stone underdog here on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz Marston here with Jeff Simmons. This is Driving Forces. As we said, it is time for you to call in. Time for you to tell us what's on your mind. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. What did you think of our talk with uh, former Mayor Bill de Blasio, former uh, candidate for Congress, Bill de Blasio, former candidate for president, Bill de Blasio, and apparently never running for political office again, Bill de Blasio, 212-209-2877. We also heard from uh, congressional candidate still in the race, Maude Marin in New York District 10. We're going to go to the phones right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, am I on? You are. Oh, great, great. How are you and your um, your co-host, too? First of all, I like I have a question and then a uh, comment. Was Bill de Blasio ever invited to WBGO to, um, did I say to WBAI, to speak prior while he was, um, while he was the mayor? Many times. Many, many he, times. I'm he, trying to recall if on? we had him on, but I know that we have tried uh, many, many times to have him on the program. Jeff? We do. Uh, we did also reach out re, uh, repeatedly and had his uh, his wife on the first lady several times to talk about mental health issues, to talk about specific initiatives that were going on. But we did try a number of times prior to him dropping out. We did uh, his office, his aide did get back to us and said he would be on, and he did also appear on City Watch with David Brand and on Arthur Schwartz's show as well here on WBAI. This is pro- this is why he was elected. No, um, I while, can't. Speak. While he was, oh, while he was while in he office, was in while he was running for Congress, he was the uh, mayor of New York City. Um, I know during my time here, um, when uh, hosting the show, while he was in office, we did reach out a number of times. We were not able to have him on. Sometimes we did have some outreach from his office, but it was a scheduling issue. Uh, but do like, and as you know, if you're a regular listener of this show, I don't hold back about also identifying a number of the candidates or elected officials who we do reach out to whose offices don't get back. Uh, that's why we never had the former city council speaker on his office even told us he was not going to do our show. Oh, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I remember you having his wife on, but I don't remember, and I listen to your show very often. It's like, you know, tears now. You know, I, and, and it really bothers me because, you know, this audience, the WBAI audience, is a very intellectual, high intellectual audience, and we do ask the tough questions. And I think they're really scared to come on here. I really think they are because they know that it's unfiltered and they're going to be hit with some serious hard questions. The second question that I have is, um, not question, but comment I have, is that I truly believe in this, the, the, the uh, lady who's running. Um, if you're a male, why don't you do male sports or whatever? I, I just don't think it's fair to women that a man who's, tra- who's, who's transcending or whatever that person is, their birthright, they have a penis. And I think it's only fair, and you know their, their physicality is totally different and stronger than a woman. Let's just bar none. Let's just put all that other stuff aside. Uh, 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 medical sh- uh, records show that a man's strength is far more greater than a woman's strength. So why are they trying to be so doggone domineering to go into the, why don't they just go ahead and, and do the, um, even though they're a woman and they got their birthright, whatever they have, it's just not fair, and I, I truly agree with that. That's where I figure there should be some laws where there should be some drawing of the lines with respect to that because women, uh, we we always being dominated by males. Now they become females, and they still want to have that dominating attitude. It's just, it's just unbelievable. But thank you so much, and keep up the good work. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much for your call. Obviously, a lot of different opinions on that uh, within the within and without the uh, slate of candidates for New York 10 212-209-2877. I think we just have one more caller. Uh, if we have time, you are on the air. WBAI. What's your name? Where are you calling from? My name is Carl Second William calling from New Jersey. What's on your I, mind today? I, I agree with the last caller and with your last guest. We know here that if a gay man hits a sister or hits somebody, that's a man hitting somebody. And then the other thing is that when they ban her from being in the race, to me, 
I thought that was something that WBI would be on all the time because if that was Trump doing that, that would be news every hour on the hour. You know how how he's banning people, but now I never heard that till today. Until you well, know, you brought it up and she spoke on it. Yeah, just to, know, just to, just to be clear, I think she was actually uh, disinvited or prevented from participating in a candidate forum. She is not uh, prevented from participating as a candidate in the election. Right, so just, that shouldn't happen neither. I'm saying if that would have happened under Trump, that would have been news on WBI all day. All day that would have been how he didn't have somebody be able to participate inside a Democratic election in this part. That's what I'm saying. The standards should be the same. Okay, so so have you have you thought about? Oh, well, you're from New Jersey, so I guess you won't I'm, I'm be voting Jersey, in the. Uh... I just heard that, and it was really it was really oh. something to hear what she had to say, and I agree with everything that she had to say. Okay, well, thank you so much for your call. Really appreciate you uh, tuning in and, and sharing your thoughts. So we are coming into the stretch of today's edition of Driving Forces. Thanks to our special guests, former Mayor Bill de Blasio and congressional candidate Maude Marin. Thanks, as always, to you, our listeners, and to our engineer, Reggie Johnson. Jeff, what's coming up on City Watch? So this is what's coming up. This Sunday at 10 in the morning, I will be hosting City Watch. I've got two guests, uh, starting with New York City Council member Lynn Shulman. She is going to join me to discuss the city's response to monkeypox, what has worked, what has not worked. She'll also talk about the other work uh, that the City Council's Health Committee is going to be working on this fall. And then I'll be joined by, and I want to have a lighter segment in the middle of summer, by Linda Lombardo. She is an expert on what is known as forest bathing. And if you wonder what that is, well, sorry, Celeste, you, sorry to disappoint you. You keep your clothes on when you go forest bathing. This is a family program, Jeff, family program. But that does sound like a good show. And I hope everybody tunes in City Watch on Sundays. One last reminder that your contribution to help keep free speech radio alive at WBAI all year round is tax deductible. Please go to WBAI.org today to support this station, support the Tower Fund. That's WBAI.org. If you missed any part of the show, you can hear it in full by subscribing to Driving Forces via Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. This has been Driving Forces with Celeste Katz-Marston and Jeff Simmons. Thanks for listening. Now stay tuned to WBAI for more great programming. See you on the radio.